Welcome to the Faith Christian Fellowship of Montego Bay's podcast. We are reaching for His glory through building and teaching. I hope you are encouraged and edified by this message. The doctrine of atonement. Interestingly, I I was checking something this week and I realized that this doctrine of atonement is being taught at a time when the Jews are celebrating what is called Yom Kippur. And Yom Kippur is considered the holiest day on the Jewish calendar. And it is really a commemoration of the atonement. Yom Kippur is referred to as the day of atonement. So it is characterized by fastings, repentance, consecration, and those kinds of stuff. So while we're teaching this, it is that time on the Jewish calendar. We're not just in Israel, but Jews all over the world are celebrating Yom Kippur at this time. You know, throughout history, we have seen good people do good things. All of us on this platform, though we have been disappointed by people, know some good people. They're not easy to find, but there's still some good people around. So we have known good people who have done good things. People have stood on behalf of others on an individual level, on a family level, and also on a national level. We've seen the sacrifices that people have made on behalf of others. We see someone like Nelson Mandela, the late, late Nelson Mandela. Nelson Mandela was put in prison in South Africa for about 27 years. And that was because he was standing on behalf of the South African people. Now, South Africa has a population of about 50 million people and about maybe three, three and a half million of that 50 million people are white. About 45 million are black. Well, three and a half, four million are white. And yeah, one million or so mixed people there. And Nelson Mandela's interest was primarily, yes, for the black people because they were the ones that were being oppressed. But he stood on behalf of justice, really, in South Africa, standing on behalf of the people. And it's interesting, when he was released from prison, became the president of South Africa not too long after that. But he demonstrated that power, being the president of South Africa, was not even his main interest. It was just a vehicle to make the representation for the people that he wanted to make, to dismantle apartheid. And so we have seen his life as a, as a sacrifice, because after about one term of being the president, he stepped away from it. There was absolutely no challenge 
or anything like that. He just stepped away from it because his objective of seeing apartheid dismantled in South Africa, at least to a certain degree, was met. And we've seen people like Martin Luther King stood on behalf of people. We've seen people like Gandhi in India. So my point is that history records many rescue acts by human beings on behalf of other human beings. But there has never been and will never be a rescue act like the atonement. The Bible says, God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. That's the rescue act of the atonement there. In fact, I want to read uh, two verses of scripture there from St. John chapter three. We're going to read from verse 16 and 17. For this is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only son, sacrifice above anything we would ever know, so that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. Remember, we keep saying that um, the reason why people die and go to hell is not so much the sins that they have committed because the price for sin is already paid. Here we see in verse 16 that it says, he who believes in him, Jesus, will not perish because they would have accepted the remedy for the sins was Jesus. God sent his son into the world, not to judge the world, or the King James Version said, not to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved, or to save the world through him, to save the world through him. So you can be saved through Jesus Christ. That is the sacrifice that God made so that you and I can have salvation. And we give thanks to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ for that great love with which he loved us. I want to look at some key words and key scriptures as it relates to atonement. There are a few words that I'm going to just bring to your attention and use some scriptures to reinforce that point of the atonement and to relate, try and relate the atonement uh, a little bit better. So the first word we're going to look at is a word named propitiation. And that word is found in 1 John chapter 2, verse 2. So we're going to read two verses in 1 John chapter 2, verse 1 and 2. 1 John chapter 2, verse 1, verses 1 and 2. All right? And look at the word propitiation. My dear children, I am writing this to you so that you will not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate who pleads our case before the Father. He is Jesus Christ, the one who is truly righteous. He himself is the sacrifice that atones for our sins. 
the King James says, he is the propitiation for our sins. All right? He himself is the sacrifice that atones for our sins. And not for ours only, but for the sins of all the world. He is the one that atones for our sins. And not for ours only, but for the sins of the whole world. That's interesting. Here's a, a King James version of it. My little children, these things write I unto you that you sin not. And if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And he is the propitiation for our sins, or the one who atones for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Again, you see, Jesus has already atoned for our sin, paid the price uh, for our sin. The sins is not the biggest issue in terms of where you spend eternity, is your acceptance of the remedy for the sins or your rejection of him who is the remedy for our sins. So as we see, the word propitiation means to atone or to appease. It means the offering of a gift or sacrifice or sufficient value in order that the wrath of another might be appeased. It also means to appease the righteous wrath of a holy God by offering an atoning sacrifice, right? To appease the righteous wrath of a holy God. You know, when someone is really upset, some of you know that it's not the easiest thing to, as we would say, calm down such people. It's not the easiest thing to appease their wrath. Propitiation is to appease the wrath or the righteous wrath of a holy God by offering an atoning sacrifice. So that the sacrifice of Jesus for us appeased the wrath of God because God now would not just have to be looking at sin and unrighteousness before his eyes, but he now would be able to look at righteousness because of the atonement. Because of the atonement, we have the ability to stand before him in righteousness. It also means to render favorable. So if you remember in Genesis chapter 6, the Bible said that evil was great in the sight of God to the point that it repented the Lord or grieved him that he had made man. But if you read on in that text, it says, but Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord because Noah was a righteous man according to the scriptures. So the righteousness of Noah appeased the wrath of God. God saw somebody that he could work with. That is why when you read now in somewhere like Ezekiel chapter 22, verse 30, where it says, I sought for a man among them to stand in the gap, but I found none. You see how serious that is? 
Therefore, I have poured out my indignation or my wrath because what God is saying, I could not find any righteousness in the place. So there was nothing to stand between the wrath of God and, and, and the judgment of God. So the atonement puts us in a position where we can stand before God in righteousness and negotiate with him on behalf of the affairs of earth. You see, because of the atonement, we can confess our own sins and not depend on the high priest to do so for us. In 1 John chapter 1 and verse 9, the Bible says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. What I am saying here is that such a scripture, such a verse, would not have been possible without the atonement. It would not have been possible without the atonement. So the atonement puts us in a position of being able to go to God to ask forgiveness for our sins. Now, remember in the Old Testament, uh, it wasn't just the priest, as, although I say the priest sometimes, but it was the high priest that would go into the Holy of Holies once per year. The regular priest couldn't even go in there and make atonement for man's sin. Because of the atonement, you can do that every day to say, Lord, I have sinned. Forgive me. It should also be noted that the atonement made it possible for us to be cleansed from our sins, not to just be washed from our, our sins, not just to confess our sins, but to be washed, to be cleansed from our sins. Because even in the old covenant, when the high priest would have gone into the Holy of Holies on behalf of the people, really their sins were covered according to the scripture because without the shedding of jesus's blood the righteous blood there could be no remission that word remission means removal there would be no removal no remission or no cleansing of sin so even when the high priest went in in the old testament it was just to cover their sins but thank god that because of the atonement, the Bible says in 1 John chapter 1, 1, verse 9, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us, but not just stop there, but to also cleanse us, cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Praise God for the cleansing of his blood, for the atonement, which puts us in that position. So, in First John chapter 1, verse 9, it says that upon confessing our sins, he will forgive us and to cleanse us from all our sins. So that is the atonement in full truck. In other words, you're forgiven, you're cleansed, you're set free. The scripture says that let no man deceive you. If you do righteousness, you are righteous even as God is righteous that is the atonement in full throttle you have the ability to be as righteous as god is 
so you see there's no such thing really as one being more righteous than the other you're either righteous or you're not righteous there are no degrees of righteousness with god if you confess your sins he's faithful and just to forgive you of your sins and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness so that you can walk as the righteousness of god in christ jesus and people are still afraid and yeah, a little intimidated to say that they are the righteousness of God, uh, to be bold enough, just because they committed some sin last year or 10 years ago or all that kind of stuff. If you confess your sins, he's faithful and just to forgive you and to cleanse you, to make you righteous. Another word that we want to look at is the word reconciliation. It relates to the atonement. Reconciliation. We're going to read from 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 19 to 21. Now, to reconcile means to make friends and bring back together as one. It also means to bring back together as one those that are at variance or at enmity. So, you know, we were at enmity with God. So reconciliation, which is a result of the atonement, has made it possible for us to be one with God again. And I mean one because the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 6 verse 17 that he that is joined to the Lord is one spirit. Just like the Bible says two people get married, they are one flesh. Well, it says, he that is joined to the Lord is one spirit. The only way that was possible for us to be one with God was, is, is because of the atonement. He has reconciled us. Verse 19, let's just pop up to verse 18. All things are of God who hath reconciled us to himself or made us one with himself or some parts of the scripture says he has broken down the middle wall of partition that was between us. So there is no more enmity between us and God. That's reconciliation. All things are of God who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ. And that is important. By Jesus Christ. The reconciliation took place by Jesus Christ. It is not as some negotiation of some other party that made it possible by Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. So just like he has, he has reconciled us to himself, he has given us the ministry of reconciliation that we can be reconciled one to another and that is very important you know this is why the bible says if you bring your gifts to the altar and remember that your brother has ought against you you must leave your gifts at the altar and go reconcile with your brother because according to the scripture he reconciled us he god reconciled us to himself and he has given us the ministry of reconciliation. So 
we should also practice reconciliation. And that is so crucial. Sometimes we're in the court and we're doing cases. And one of the things that really pained my heart is to see aunts uh, come in there suing her niece and nephew and father and son, it's sisters and brothers are there fighting over land and all that kind of stuff. And while you as a judge can charge for the offense that they're there for, we always see best to refer those people to arbitration. Because at arbitration, they're able to sit down and talk together with trained people with the intention of reconciliation. So even the world sees the need for reconciliation. That is why malice should never even enter our thoughts. It should not be a practice among us. Because as I said, even the world sees the need for reconciliation. But here's the thing, some of those folks, they come to court and they are adamant that they don't even want any, any arbitration. Because you see, if they have arbitration and, and some reconciliation takes place, we are conscious that some of them have just a fence part in their property and they still have to wake up and see each other in the morning. So it's in their best interest, it's in the community's best interest, the country's best interest to have reconciliation. But you know, the enemy has his version of that. So he is focused on division. So while reconciliation is necessary and there are those of us who push for reconciliation, we still have to pray and, and believe God for the best because there is an enemy that is trying to push division also. This is why the Bible talks so much against about division and the dangers of division. A house divided against itself will not stand. God is not into division, he's into reconciliation. But the devil doesn't want any reconciliation, especially among the people of God. He wants division. It's a two kingdom. So we know what they offer. And God said, he has given us the ministry of reconciliation. So as I said, reconciliation means to make friends and to bring back together as one. And uh, that is what we're after. That is what we want to see done in the kingdom of God. That's what we want to see the saints practice over and over and over so that we can have what God intended for us. You know, an environment with malice and hatred and division and all that kind of stuff is toxic and you will never experience the, the presence of God and the, the manifestations of God the way that you ought to if you don't walk in the, in the ways of the Lord. This is again why if you read Galatians chapter 5, you will see the fruit of the Spirit and you will see the works of the flesh, two different set of manifestations. With regard to relationship between God and man, sin brought an 
estrangement and thus there needs to be reconciliation. It is not that God has to be reconciled to man. It is man that need to be reconciled to God. And let me say that again. It is not that God has to be reconciled to man. I mean, God's future is not in jeopardy or anything like that if he's not reconciled to man. It is man that really need to be reconciled to God. It is our future that is at stake. It is our destiny that is in big trouble. It is man that is lost and without hope if he's not reconciled to God. However, God initiated the reconciliation through the atonement because man was not in a position to act in that regard. Man was not in a position to initiate the reconciliation. So God had to initiate it. But now it's man's choice. We were without hope, the Bible says, hence the atonement. Let's move on to another word here with another scripture. And we are going to look at the word substitution. Now, it's a very important word. As we said earlier, Jesus acted on our behalf, not so much as our substitute, as people will say. You know, of course we understand when people say what they're saying, and we hope that some people understand, uh, our people understand what they're saying. But what we're saying is that it's not like God acted for us because we refused to act for ourselves. We were not in a position to produce what Jesus was able to produce on our behalf. We could not produce for ourselves what Jesus produced on our behalf. So he acted on our behalf so that we could have life and have it more abundantly. You see, substitution is more talking about standing in the stead of another. And we're saying, hey, your blood was not good enough to purchase your salvation. There's a synonym to the word substitution that is used in the Greek, and it's the word vicarious. And it means suffering for another or suffering to produce results for another. And sometimes you will hear about the vicarious death or atonement of Jesus. It was just talking there about Jesus acting on our behalf so that we can have life and have it more abundant. In fact, if you look in the scriptures in Luke chapter 2, verse 11, it says, unto you, I think it's when the birth of Jesus was announced. It says, unto you is born this day in the city of David a savior. Note the word savior. Savior is not really a substitute. It's a rescue act. And that's what we're saying. He is our savior. Luke says, unto you is born this day 
in the city of David a savior, which is Christ the Lord. No two ways about who is the savior. A savior acts on behalf of whomever he is saving. So if as Luke says, Jesus was the savior and he was born unto you, it means he was acting on your behalf. He was your savior. It's like someone is drowning and the lifeguard or someone else that was quick on the scene, jumped in that water, save the person, give them another chance at life. That's what Jesus did for us. We were drowning. We could not in any way, shape or form save ourselves. So he became our savior. We also want to take a look at the word grace. Grace is another important word on the atonement. Grace is unmerited favor. Favor, you didn't do anything to merit or earn. It's not like you worked hard enough to earn it. It is unmerited favor. Favor, you didn't do anything at all to merit, to earn. Grace has been defined as that which is freely bestowed with no expectation. It is an act which finds its only motive in good-heartedness, in the good-heartedness of the giver. Your life, your triumphs, your continuity would have been impossible without the grace of God. God, through his grace, reached out to mankind. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9, Paul explained how there was given to him a thorn in the flesh. He said a messenger of Satan was sent to buffet him. And he said he prayed a few times that the thing would just leave him alone. But God's response to him was that my grace is sufficient for you. If God's grace was sufficient for Paul, it is certainly sufficient for you. Whatever you are going through, whatever messenger of Satan has been sent to buffet you, God's grace is sufficient for you. Oh yes, I know the effects of COVID and all kinds of stuff has been tumbling down on some people's head. God's grace is sufficient for you. In Titus chapter 2, verse 11, the Bible says, The grace of God, which bringeth salvation, hath appeared unto all men. It's available to all of us, the grace of God. Some of the expected results of atonement are, let's look at the main one. The main expected result of the atonement is repentance. Jesus, before he completed the atonement, died on the cross and all that. Before all that, he preached repentance. John also preached repentance, saying, repent, both of them saying, preach saying, repent, for the kingdom 
of heaven is at hand. I want you to think for a minute about someone being helpless. For example, a demon-possessed person is helpless. The only way that they can be helped is to come in contact with Jesus. But by themselves, they're helpless. In other words, a demon-possessed person does not have the ability to say, this foolishness is enough. This kind of lifestyle is enough. I am going to repent. I'm going to change and turn to God. They don't have that ability. They are helpless. The human race was helpless. We did not have the ability to change course by ourselves. We were helpless. The atonement made repentance a possibility and a reality for the human race. It gave us the ability and the responsibility to change course. The word repentance means to change direction. It means to change the way you think. It means to change course. It is not just in words to ask God, forgive me of the sins I've committed. It means to change course. So you're going north and you repent, you start going so you turn around, start going south. It means a total change of direction, opposite. In St. Matthew chapter 4, verse 17, Jesus quoted Isaiah that the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. They that dwell in the land of the shadow of death, upon them hath the light shine. The only way a man can be transferred from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light is through repentance. Again, we reiterate that point. If you repent, you change direction, and you can inherit the kingdom of God, it is not so much about how bad of a sinner you were or the amount of sins you committed. It is about changing direction and embracing the kingdom. In the New Testament that we live today, our faith in God is hinged on the atonement. There would be no new covenant, no repentance, no reconciliation, no cleansing of sin without the atonement. We thank God for the atonement. We thank him for being our savior and our God. We thank him that even when we were without hope, he reached down his hand for us. He stretched out his arm towards us. We thank you so much for joining us today. God bless you and have a great day. You may contact us by email at fcfmontegobay at gmail.com or follow us on Instagram at fcfmobay and on Facebook at fcfmontegobay.